JJ here. Welcome and welcome back to the Art of Value Investing. This is episode 25. It's the 3rd of August 2021. So in today's episode, I'm just going to recap to recap what I talked about last time. The possibility of a bubble going on. Jeremy Grantham thinks there's a massive bubble, biggest in history. I'm just going to update that on some thoughts over the past week or so since I recorded that. I'm also going to talk about the China drawdown again, ongoing China drawdown, but we've had a big, there's been a bit of a rebound there and some new events. And also the cannabis, US cannabis drawdown, the continuing drawdown there. So I thought that would, it's worth going into those a little bit. Just uh, the usual disclaimers, disclosures. I am not a financial advisor and I'm not giving any kind of advice here. I'm just talking to myself as much as you to work through my own thoughts and ideas. Do your own research and analysis. Don't buy or sell any stocks based on what I say. This podcast is as good as live. I'm not spending any time editing, so it may be a bit rough at times. And feel free to contact me on Twitter at The Art of Value. Okay, so last time I... I talked about, uh, if you go back and look at episode number 24, the last episode, I talked about this, uh, well, it was a long, it was another podcast, a long episode with the, uh, the uh, Jeremy Grantham was talking about the top of the cycle. It's on the Investors Podcast. We restudy billionaires, it's called. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have listened to that already. But Jeremy Grantham went through his thesis about being a big bubble. So I'm not going to repeat everything. Go back to that. It's quite a long episode. But uh, it really has made me think about the possibility, this possibility of the bubble having already burst back in February, starting with the the riskier emerging tech stocks, even though the indices, the S&P and NASDAQ, have kept climbing, which is what happened in 2000. It's a possibility... And so during this week, I there are a few things that caught my eye. I think other some other people on Twitter have um, been listening to that too. People have been one. It was on Bloomberg actually as well. Bloomberg TV that I was watching. They talked about the Goldman Sachs U.S. Financial Conditions Index, which has is classed as extraordinarily easy right, right now. The the graph goes down, 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 down for many years. Um, I mean, you know, like it. It sort of uh, obviously went up in 2008 and and to around 2000, but condi- financial conditions being extremely easy, which is kind of sometimes a sign of a warning sign before things get tight again. And also, that was just one thing. But the Shiller P ratio, which I hadn't looked at for quite a few months, I just hadn't bothered looking at that. But it's now 39.19. And the highest it's ever been was during the dot-com bubble of 44.19. I think Grantham said in that podcast that Japan got to 65. Well, they had it, you know, in the late 80s when they had the property and stock market bubble at the same time, which is incredibly uh, dangerous to have two bubbles like that at the same time. And, of course, it came crashing down, and it's been 30 years since... uh, and it hasn't really, it hasn't reached, it hasn't, it's recovered, but it hasn't really gone back anywhere near where it was. So 39, 
can we get to 44? Can we get to uh, the dot-com bubble level without a correction? And people say there are many re there are many reasons, of course, that it's got to 39. But I don't think about the macro situation, just like you know Warren Buffett and Mungus and other value investors say, just and uh, you know Joel Greenblatt and people like that talk about just focusing on the micro, the fund, the individual companies. You can't you can't invest based on the macro. People, some people can. Drucken Miller, I think, Stanley Drucken Miller is is known to be good for that, and uh, you know other investors do think about it. And I do think Buffett Buffett thinks about it. Well, I talked about that. How I don't know if I talked about it in the last podcast, but how they've got so much cash, and they seem to be the last filing they was selling again, trimming back and not buying anything so the the huge amount of cash is built up and really the the last time I think they kind of did that was uh during a bubble so it's still a possibility. I don't know, it might not happen and I'm not I'm not selling anything based on it. Um I actually well trimmed a little bit. I want more cash to be able to if it did happen to buy just to make sure I have enough cash. But generally, just carrying on and just having to think about that, that, that we could have a 50% drawdown or more. It's a real possibility. It always is, right? But um, we've had a long expansion, a long bull market, apart from that 35% drawdown last year. But that kind of the, the COVID drawdown, but then the massive stimulus, massive takeoff after that. Um, Grantham thinks the bubble started about... I think he said July last year when it took off after COVID and with massive stimulus. Anyway, so that's so we've got the PE ratio and uh, another interesting thing that I saw is um, I mean there's also speculative activity going along going around. He talks about the the meme stocks. I saw a funny meme uh, which. Which sort of summed up really. It says you aren't being unfairly attacked by short sellers. Your company just sucks. Um, <laughs> kind of sums up, you know, AMC and GME really. AMC being l lucky to break even or you know just keep its head above water really. But but the, the valuation is huge. And that I mean again they're talking about with AMC holders and all those. All the meme stocks, they're talking about the mother of all short squeezes after it's gone up that much. So, you know, I mean, sure it could happen, but I talked to some of these people and they're not, they say they're not planning to sell even even if there's a massive short squeeze. So it would go, I mean, they're talking diamond hands after, you know, after all this. So is that going to be a point? There's, there's going to be a point where somebody's going to sell and it's kind of like I just think it's whoever gets out last is gonna, gonna the diamond hands won't last forever I don't think especially if there's a bust. And then we have other signs like the Rivian valuation that came out during the week of eighty billion. Thinking about them I mean, and they're planning an IPO valuation eighty billion. Uh, and what happened there was it was interesting that Elon Musk Elon tweeted something interesting I thought and uh, Tesla shareholders that I have seen on the internet have sort of tried 
trying as hard as they can to to not take this what he said literally. He said, quoting, "I thought 1999 was peak insanity, but 2021 is a thousand percent more insane." And he is talking. That's the context of the Rivian uh, IPO. And he goes on to talk about, I haven't got the tweet right here, but he goes on to talk about they should at least have produced one car for every $1 billion of valuation. Uh, and so, you know, the IPO situation is getting as insane as back, as back in 1999. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. From him himself, considering Tesla's valuation or share prices, the multiples are, are really high. So that's that, and we have also we have Apple car rumors again. I saw just today that uh, they're you know can they compete with Tesla? I think it's really interesting actually if they if Apple came out with an Apple car and the, the whole ecosystem of all the other devices they have, the App Store, um, if it works, it could could do could do well. But I'm, I kind of want to see it to see well, to see what they just to see what they do. Because an Apple car would be an Apple EV would might be uh, might be it would be a thing to see. I hope they do it, um, whether they compete with or not. But I just kind of think it seems like they've been working on it for a long time, and they would not. I don't think they've got so much cash, and they wouldn't launch without if they didn't have a, a good shot. I think the rumors are at the moment that they uh, seem to be going to be working with Hyundai to bring it to build the car. But, you know, it's, maybe they try and make margins off the software. They're thinking about that because they they make such good margins that they they want to do this in auto too. So software's an obvious way that other cars we haven't really had in the past. Not to, not subscription software like Tesla's doing. Okay, what else? The China stock drawdown continued. So I've said that I. Disclosure that I uh, I am a shareholder in Alibaba and Pindoldo PDD, and the the drawdowns continued. The debate between investors of all kinds about whether it's incredibly risky, the regu- regulatory risk. Nobody debates the quality of the companies really, but the quality of all of the big techs really. From Tencent to Alibaba to PDD, or PDD might be more debate about that, but uh, we seem to have had, we seem to have struck a bottom. I mean, it could go down more. We seem to have struck a floor and it's bounced up. These stocks have bounced up so far 20 to more than 50%. PDD's bounced up more than 50%. And during the week, Kathy Wood came out and said that she was buying. She's got more confidence in some, like JD.com and PDD. They've started buying again. They're not buying. They're still selling down Alibaba. I guess after having a big position, I'm not sure, but they've been simply selling it for a long time. So we've got serious investors like Charlie Munger, you know, invested in and uh, Pat Bryan's quite a few value investors. It's the most, from Data Roma, it's the most, Alibaba was the most popular stock to buy last quarter. Of course, people could have been selling since then, but these are long-term investors, so it seems unlikely. Uh, Pat Bryan bought some more. 
Kathy Wood started going into JD and PDD, but saying that the risk generally is is too high. But she she came out and said that the companies that are seem to be aligning themselves with the government, not not aligning the, aligning themselves with the policy, not the government. So uh, PDD came out and said that they were uh, really sort of donating or helping to. Put, I think it was the equivalent of ten ten billion dollars, no ten billion RMB over following quarters. It was the first quarter of profit. I listened to the earnings score. It seems solid to me. First profit, uh, first quarter of profit, and then giving that to like poor re- poor rural regions, poor farmers to help development in the agricultural sec- sector, and to you know to help alleviate the the growing wealth gap. In China, between you know, like the rich tech sector and, and farms, for instance, so they're doing the right things, saying the right things. A lot of the earnings call was about that, it was devoted to that, about what they're doing, and they have been saying that beforehand too. And now they've kind of put their money where their mouth is. And and Ali, there's an article today that Alibaba is doing a similar thing. So Kelly, uh, Kathy Wood, even Kathy Wood says. That we believe that Pindodo's important role in modernizing China's agricultural industry and alleviating poverty across tier two and tier three cities is improving its relationship with Chinese government relative to its competition. So I agree with that, but maybe not relative to its competition because Alibaba's now come out with its pledging $15.5 billion towards common prosperity, the government's common prosperity drive. It's pledged to invest the equivalent of $15.5 billion over five years towards Beijing's common prosperity. I'm reading now. The 100 billion yuan would be spread across 10 initiatives, including technology, innovation, supporting economic growth in less developed regions of the China, there we go, just like PDD, and helping gig workers and young entrepreneurs, according to state-run media. So helping gig workers, that's another, that's that's the thing that even in the West, the US wants to be addressed. So we're talking about that with Uber and Lyft and companies like that, that uh, there's a debate about gig workers versus uh, permanent and permanent workers. And that's China's able to address it quickly. Uh, whereas in the West, we in de- democratic countries, it's a longer process and we go through maybe even courts, antitrust processes or whatever, you know, uh, New laws, it takes a lot longer than it does in China, obviously. So it says a fifth of the, inve- of the investment would be to develop Alibaba's home province. Okay, and the investment follows $7.7 billion pledge from Tencent. So Tencent's doing it too. Both companies have been in the crosshairs of the tech crackdown by Chinese regulators. So they're all doing it. It's the steps of, uh, you know, to helping to address the wealth gap in China. It's not, these, these things aren't random, you know, they're not, they're not random policies, that, but they, they happen quickly, but uh, maybe, well, you know, you, people have, and probably not, they're not going to change the way they think about it, but I, I'm going to stick with it and I think it's going to be fine long term. We'll see what happens. I, I haven't got, a, you know, an oversized position that would, if it, if it went to zero, it's the delisting. People are worried about the delisting of the ADRs and the VIE structure, variable interest entity structure. 
that the government would just come in and collapse it, of course. But we've heard this debate before, there's plenty of it online. I saw George Soros came out and said it's a big risk, and I did see, looked up his filing, 30 filing, they had his ninth biggest position, their ninth biggest position was in Didi. So obviously they've sold out of that, and uh, but he has changed his mind uh, about China, and but others have not. So there we are. That's kind of all I think I'll say about that for now. Apart from the fact that they've had a big jump, there's the, maybe it's the floor, maybe there'll be more a wave of regulation that scares the market and will go down. Who knows what will happen in the short term. But as I said, PDD has jumped up, and but not so much Alibaba yet. And uh, we'll see. It's it's a big drawdown, and investors are scared. Retail investors in particular are kind of running scared. I've seen a lot of people in Facebook groups saying that they've never invested in it. And, uh, so it's either one of those classic value, value situations, value stock situations, where it's value and growth in one, or there's more, there's worse to come and it's permanent. So t- take your choice there. I've chosen. Uh, it's not financial advice, of course, so do what you want. So the last thing that I want to talk about, I'm trying to keep it a bit short today. I want to talk about, there's also, as well as the China drawdown, the cannabis, US cannabis sector drawdown. So it's continuing, and some of these stocks are kind of way down. And we've just said, even after earnings season, and there was a way, the wave of stocks there that had triple digit, uh, triple digit percentage revenue gains, and like the the fundamentals are getting better, but the stock price is going down and down. So it's interesting. Like I'm down, but I'm just not worried. I've got a basket of stocks in that sector, and I just I'm looking long term. So I can see people are getting a bit freaked out, and it's a it's mostly retail investors in that sector because you know institutions aren't really there. I understand that some are, some are coming in. It wouldn't be surprised me if some are coming in now because the prices are, uh, are low. Uh, much lower than they were uh, earlier in the year. And some are down way, way down, like uh, more than 50% down. I think I've talked about a Glasshouse group before. That's way down. Uh, and Air Strategies is even down. Uh, all of them. Crisco Labs, just kind of big, big drops, continuing down. So I don't know how much lower it will go. I'm not concerned because the numbers are pretty incredible, actually. The growth numbers are incredible. So it's kind of all about the legislation again. I mean, we talk about the China regulation. It's not about restrictive regulation. It's about new regulation not coming as soon as people think. But as far as I'm concerned, the federal regulation can take a while. And But the fundamentals and, and the companies are growing and flourishing. I mean, I'm sure later on there'll be consolidation, which is kind of why I'm taking a basket approach. But um, I kind of like what I'm seeing in this. Uh, the the Verano is another one, just off the top of my head, that has dropped. It's one of the, the kind of worst performers, but, but financially too, is one of the best. It's like listening to the earning calls and seeing, and seeing what's happening with the share prices, it's like, uh, um, it's kind of like the opposites. <clears throat> so, um, but as I said, it's retail investors, so people are running scared, and it's uh, it's happened before in the cannabis sector and or the uh, Canadian. So who knows how low it will go? I, I'm long term that. I'm just going to sit on it and see what happens, because 
it looks good to me overall apart from the share price but another value value investing situation i think and um you know there's not a not a lot of analysis there's not been not no institutions and there's a legislation is in question so it's kind of one of those one of those situ another one of those situations all right that's all i wanted to talk about today so um I will talk to you next time. See you next time.